Last week, we started a, uh, a new series that we're doing just through the Christmas season here, and uh, I'm calling it Implications of the Incarnation. So when I'm using the phrase incarnation, what I'm talking about is the fact that Jesus came to this earth and took on flesh. He is God incarnate, God who took on flesh, and there are implications for the fact that He did this. There are things that come from the fact that Christ has done this on our behalf, and today we're going to talk about the fact that, that through this, He has secured our adoption as sons in the kingdom of God, in the family of God. And so my question for us today is very simply, would you like to be adopted? Now, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've been adopted into His family. If at this point you know about Him but haven't experienced a personal relationship with Him, I'm just posing the question to us. Would you like to be adopted? Our scripture this morning is going to be from Galatians chapter 4. So if you would take your Bibles and open up to Galatians chapter 4. And we're going to look at really a brief section, verses 4 through 7. And throughout the morning, I'll, I'll, I'll be bringing some of these uh, verses on the screen behind me as well as we follow along. But I just want to start off by reading the entire passage together. Galatians chapter 4, starting with verse 4. And you're going to see it brings up this subject of adoption and what it looks like to be adopted into the family of God. And this is what it says, starting with verse 4 in Galatians 4. It says this, But when the fullness of time had come, and and by the way, I just want to highlight that phrase. We're going to come back to it, but just think about that in your heart for a moment. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent, his, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege that it is to be able to look at this portion of Scripture together today and to think about who you are and how you operate in our lives and to think about all your blessings and to think about, as we've been talking about this month, the implications of the fact that your son, Jesus Christ, came to this earth and took on flesh. There are all sorts of things that resulted from that action and from that decision. Lord, today we have the privilege to think about this concept of adoption and whether or not we would like to be adopted, whether or not we want to be adopted into your family. You show us in this portion of Scripture what it looks like for that to be accomplished and and how that was accomplished. So Lord, as we think about these things today, we pray that you'd encourage our hearts and that you'd help us to walk with you in the midst of all of it. Lord, this is a concept that you bring up multiple times throughout your word. And it's such a a privilege to be able to think about it together again today. So we commit this time to you now, and we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me take you back almost three years' time, uh, back to February of 2020. And uh, during that month, our family experienced a very sad event. My stepmother, who had been dealing with the effects of dementia for several years, and some of you had the opportunity to meet her at times when she'd come down here and visit, and uh, some of you interacted with her and even helped her in a couple different ways. Uh, But at that point, she succumbed to the effects of dementia, and she passed away. 
And so in February of 2020, as you would expect, our family, we all gathered together for her funeral, and then afterward, we had a very large meal together. And, and it's very interesting in the midst of some of those experiences when you're, you're spending time together with family in a situation that you recognize, it prompts grieving, but at the same time, there's a certain joy in being able to be together with many of your family members, or even most of your family members, all at once in a, in a moment like that. And so so that's what we did. We, we enjoyed the meal together. We even took a, a, a large family photo at that meal. It came out really nicely. And then, as you remember, just a couple weeks later, in March of 2020, life drastically changed for everybody. It was very different for everyone. Lockdowns began. People began to be mandated to avoid one another. And as the weeks then stretched into months, family events that were typically on our extended family's calendar started to get canceled one at a time because of people varying degrees of, of comfort with getting together in person. Some people were comfortable with it, some people weren't. So those things got canceled, and so we weren't seeing each other. And at one point, we even had a, a tradition on, on my side of the family where we would get together for a large family meal once a month. And uh, everybody would drive together, and we would pack out a house, and it, and it was great, but all that stuff stopped. And our extended family, which had this long-standing tradition of getting together and seeing each other, we weren't seeing each other. It was sad. And unfortunately, it continued for just shy of three years. And what I mean by that is this. It was just last weekend when I saw most of those family members on my side of the family. Our extended family got together again to celebrate my aunt and uncle's 50th wedding anniversary. And I was thrilled to be able to see everybody. And it was interesting to me to notice the, the emotions that I was feeling in being able to be together with family because it, it was a, certainly a nice event. It wasn't something that was over the top or anything like that. It was just a nice event, an opportunity for us to gather together. But it felt so extra special because it had been almost three years since I had seen many of these relatives. And when you're close to your family, a prolonged separation like that, it could be a very painful thing to endure. It was something that I really didn't enjoy, and it, it was something that I felt like it, it extended far too long, I think a little bit longer than it needed to. And I don't know how many times I've told my wife over the course of this past week just how happy it made me to be able to see everybody again. And just how fun that was to be able to sit down and have a meal and, and see everybody on that side of the family again, because it had been a while. When you look at how the Lord has designed people, when you look at how the Lord's structured humanity throughout the course of history, you realize that, that family is a very important thing in God's economy. It's how He structured us to live. It's how He structured us to operate. It's how He structured us to relate. He knows that we long for it. When our families struggle, we feel pain. When our families thrive, we rejoice. But our longing to be part of a family isn't something that's exclusive to our time here on this earth. In fact, our present longing for family, and I know that's something, I think that that's something that everybody has. If you come from a difficult situation, I think you have a, a longing for stability and, and for things to, to be righted and for that close connection. If you come from a situation that had a lot of stability to it, you still long for it, and you want it to continue. And I think our present longing for family is directly connected to a desire that the Lord's placed within us that ultimately can only be satisfied by Him. I think my deepest longing for a sense of family is not something that can fully be accomplished 
by my earthly family. I think it's something that the Lord himself is the only one that can truly fulfill that longing. I think he's the only one that can truly satisfy that longing that I think each of us has. And so when you look at what Jesus did, when you see the fact that he came to this earth and he took on flesh in his incarnation, one of the reasons he was doing this was he was doing this in order to make us part of the eternal family of God. He's looking at us and saying, I don't want you to live as one who is separated from the family of God. And that's exactly how we were living. We were living on the outside, not on the inside. We were living on the outside. And Christ looked at us and he said, I want you to be part of the eternal family of God. And as we just saw in Galatians chapter 4, and we're going to work our way through this in just a moment here, but his incarnation, what it did was it secured our adoption into God's family. And in the midst of all the family celebrations and all the special events and all the things that we enjoy during this time of year, even, even with our church family, and there's certainly a lot of things that are very enjoyable, I think one of the things we can be reminded of is the fact that there's a bigger reality of what Jesus has accomplished on our behalf, securing an eternal relationship with Him and us, and then us together because of our common union with Him. And in Galatians chapter 4, the portion of Scripture that I just read, verses 4 through 7, it gives us a very powerful explanation of how our adoption into God's family actually took place. And the passage begins by saying it this way. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Now, I mentioned this just a few moments ago. I alluded to this. I love the statement, the fullness of of time. So that caught our attention as we started reading that a few minutes ago, this idea, the fullness of time. And as the Apostle Paul was writing these words, what do you suppose he was trying to convey? Is he saying the fullness of time here? So the Holy Spirit gave him this phrase to be able to write down and, and pen so that you and I could be reading it right now. The fullness of time, what's significant about that? Well, Paul was teaching us some important details about how God sovereignly acts. God is not surprised by human history. We're surprised by human history, right? I'm surprised all the time. I shouldn't be surprised at this point, but we're surprised all the time. God is not surprised by human history. Rather, when you look at what Scripture reveals to us about how God's operating, He's operating in human history, and He's ultimately directing its outcome. He's taking things that we would look at and we would say, all right, that is messed up, or that is a dark season of human history, or that's a dark thing that's taking place right now. And you look at all of that and you realize that God's operating in the midst of it, and He's ultimately directing its outcome. And the Scripture here is telling us that at just the right moment in human history for Christ's earthly ministry to have the desired effect that God wanted it to have, God the Father sent His Son into this world to be born a man. I think the hearts of people were being prepared to receive him. Uh, I think the activities of the nations were being prepared for Christ's arrival. I think world events and trade routes and relationships and the spiritual longing of those lost in sin were being made ready for Christ's arrival. Basically, the stage was being set, and the stage was set for the message of the gospel to spread rapidly and effectively. That's exactly what took place in the centuries since. And I mentioned trade routes just a moment ago. And if you ever want to just do some interesting study, take a look at the impact that the Roman Empire had on trade routes that existed during that first century, during the time of Christ's earthly ministry. And think about how strategic that was in regard to the spread of the gospel. 
and how the Lord orchestrated all of that so that that message was able to spread. In a day and age where people didn't have the modern communication means that you and I enjoy, the gospel still spread and just went all throughout the course of the world. And so Jesus was sent uh, into this world in the fullness of time to have the greatest effect on the most people. The gospel's gone from person to person, nation to nation, transforming lives ever since. It's a beautiful thing to see, and it's wonderful to think about. We're also told in this same passage, um, well, let me even just say this. When you think about the fullness of time, when you think about that phrase and how Paul references that there, have you, ever, have you ever considered or thought how miraculous it is that you and I have responded to the gospel? Because here we are, you know, I, I think it's amazing to consider the fact that, that the birth of a Jewish carpenter a little over 2,000 years ago would impact the world the way that it has. You have a small initial group of people that followed him and then carried his teachings as far as they could, even under the threat of death, and many of them were killed, and yet that didn't produce fear in them, certainly not a fear that would, that would stop them from actually proclaiming the gospel. They knew that that was something that they were very much facing, and yet they proclaimed the gospel. They went place to place. Many of the initial Christians that shared the message of the gospel were executed, and that's something that's occurred uh, throughout the course of history ever since, and yet the gospel spread person to person, nation to nation going all throughout this world, and it reached you and me, and here we are on the other side of the world from where it was first proclaimed, and yet here we are worshiping the Lord, singing out our hearts to Him, and thanking Him for the fact that He's rescued and redeemed us. It's a wonderful thing. But also notice in this passage of Scripture that it tells us that Jesus, as He came to this earth and took on flesh, it says that He was born of a woman. Now, we live in a day right now where you're not allowed to mention gender distinctives, okay? And if you didn't know that, I'm just letting you know, you're not allowed to do that anymore, okay? We used to be allowed to refer to men as being men and women being women, but what I've discovered is you're not allowed to do that. So one of my favorite things to do from this pulpit is to try and get myself canceled, all right? <laughs> so that's what I'm doing right now, all right? Um, but there are significance to the things that are said in Scripture, they actually matter. I'm not trying to be purposely provocative, but if it is, it is. The Scripture says here, Jesus was born of a woman, and it says it this way on purpose. Why does it say it this way on purpose, that Jesus was born of a woman? I think that's a very interesting statement. as long-term historical implications in God's redemptive plan for humanity. It's not accidental phraseology. It's something that was revealed to us very specifically, that Jesus was born of a woman. Well, if you recall, when you look back in, in the book of Genesis, right after Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, God revealed the remedy for sin when He confronted the serpent. And he made a statement, and I'm going to bring it up for us so that we could take a look at it. And in Genesis 3.15, this is the Lord confronting Satan, confronting that serpent, and He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. So here you have God referencing the offspring of the woman. Why is he being very specific? And then here you have Paul in Galatians 4 talking about the fact that Jesus was born of a woman. It's all connected to this. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. 
It's a reference that we're given there in Genesis 3.15, and it's interesting that God references the offspring or the seed of the woman who would be the one who would right the wrongs that had been committed in the garden, and that language is very, very intentional. It was a statement that pointed to Jesus who would be born of a woman without a human father. Now, why does that even matter? Do you ever wonder that? I mean, and now obviously, one of the reasons why Christ was born of a virgin was to demonstrate something miraculous, and it's also a sign that was being fulfilled, as you see that in prophecy, that, that uh, the Messiah would be born of a virgin, right? His birth would be miraculous, divinely accomplished, without the seed of a man. But why else is it necessary that Christ would be born without the seed of a man? Now, I know you didn't come to church today for a biology lesson, but maybe you get one sometimes. That's bonus, okay? You're welcome. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. I hope it helps you pass a test if you need it. Um, but I believe that Scripture teaches that the sin nature that we're born with and the sin nature that's passed down to us is actually passed down to us through our earthly fathers. Sorry, dads. It's not Father's Day, but I thought I'd pick on you early, right? I believe it's passed down to us through our earthly fathers. But yet Jesus is sinless. So for him to take on flesh without also taking on a sin nature when he was taking on flesh, he would need to be born of a virgin woman without the aid of seed from a human father. That's how that would have to take place. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it tells us this, kind of giving us this picture of how sin is passed along. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so that's passed down to us, right? So death spread to all men because all sinned. Came into the world through one man. Many theologians, also your pastor, believe that the sin nature is passed down through the seed of the man. But Galatians 4 tells us that Christ was, was born of a woman, just like we were told in Genesis 3, that the one who would come and right the wrongs that were committed in the garden would be the seed or the offspring of the woman. It's very specific language meant to reveal something to us about how God was going to accomplish this. Well, Galatians 4, it also tells us that Jesus was born under the law. Did you catch that phrase? So he was born of a woman, born under the law. Now, I don't know if you've ever read through the requirements of the Old Testament law, I hope you have, but if you've never done so, I'd encourage you to do so. Read through the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Read them all the way through, traditionally referred to as the books of the law. They outline a variety of things, including the sinfulness of man, uh, the righteous requirements of God, the holiness of God's nature. We're shown the many different ways that, that our lives conflict with His holiness. We're also invited to live up to a higher standard. And then you and I discover as we try to live up to that higher standard in our own strength, we realize we fail to meet that standard. And I realize that in my own strength, I can't meet that standard. And you've probably come to that spot as well. You realize, you know what, in my own strength, I can't meet that standard. And in fact, the people that think they can meet that standard in their own strength are actually very dangerous people, very self-righteous people. There are people that do think that they could meet that standard in their own strength. But in fact, we fail in every respect. There isn't a single category of sin that every single one of us hasn't, in one way or another, rebelled against. We violated every category. 
And when Jesus came to this earth and was born as a man, you know, born of a woman, born under the law, you have the requirements of the law still in effect. The ceremonial requirements, this, the civil requirements, the governmental requirements, Jesus was born under that law. The Old Testament law was very much still in effect, but he responded to it differently than we respond to it. We feel provoked by it. That's what Scripture reveals to us. We feel provoked by it. It's like the, you know, when your, parents is, when your parents tell you not to do something, so in your mind you're like, you know, I didn't even think of that, but now I'm going to do that. Now I'm going to do that. I'm going to give you a very specific example. I'm, I'm grateful that I'm still here breathing to be able to tell you this. Um, but I remember I was about five years old. There was a large, I think it was a hornet's nest on the side of our home. And my dad was going to spray it. And he said, all right, Johnny, this is what I want you to do. Stand here at the screen door. By the way, I promise you this story is 100% true and unembellished. He said, stand here at the screen door. I'm going to go spray that hornet's nest, and then I'm going to run in here. And you're just going to open it when I come through, and then, and then close it You know, once I get in. That's your job. And I was like, got it. And he's like, make sure you open the door when I get to it. And I was like, got it. And then as he's walking out there to spray the hornet's nest right on the side of our house, I started, I started thinking, wouldn't it be funny? I bet your dad would get such a kick out of it if I not only close the screen door, but I close the glass door and I lock it. So I think I'm going to do that, right? The very thing he had told me not to do. And so that's exactly what I did. And I still, I will never forget my father coming up to the door and opening it, and then looking at me with the panic in his eyes, like, I literally just sprayed the hornets. He's like, Johnny, open the door. And I'm like, okay, it's easier to lock it, Dad. It, but first, I'm laughing. You know, I'm laughing at my father, right? And then I open it, and he gets inside, and he's all mad. And I think in his mind, he's like, unbelievable. Do not trust that kid when I'm spraying bees. Unbelievable. My, my wife is shaking her head, and she's like, there's a part of you, husband, that would still do that, isn't there? <laughs> we feel provoked by rules. We feel provoked by the, the, the right thing. We feel provoked by it, and, and we find ourselves saying, you know, I know I'm supposed to do this, but I think instead I'll do the opposite. And I want to see what happens. And then we have this part in our head where we think, maybe nothing will happen to me. Maybe I'll get away with it. Like, maybe nothing will happen. Maybe it'll be like, or we also start thinking like, well, why? Why was I told not to do this? Is there something you don't want me to know that, that I would like to know? We feel provoked by that. We feel provoked by the requirements of the law. And Jesus responded to the law differently. He looked at it and he delighted to keep its requirements. And he delighted to fulfill them. Jesus satisfied the requirements of the law because we couldn't do so. Being born with a sin nature, our inclination is to rebel against it. And we couldn't fulfill it, so he did it for us. And he demonstrated his righteousness in the process, and now through faith in him, his righteousness is given to us as if we've actually kept the law's requirements. Yet deep down, you and I know we've broken every category, and yet we're seen in the eyes of the Father as if we didn't, because he looks at us and he sees the Son who kept the law for us. And then the Scripture goes on to tell us that, that Jesus did this, when you look at verse 5, Jesus did this to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, notice that phrase, adoption as sons. I'm going to highlight that as well, even though it's very gender-specific. I'm so sorry. So gender-specific today. I am in big trouble, all right? 
I'm just, I'm just taking it as far as I can. Um, but we were in a hopeless state of spiritual poverty. We were in a hopeless state of slavery to sin. And Jesus paid for our sin with his blood. And he gifted us with his righteousness. And he set us free from slavery. And he made us his family. And as Jesus, the Son of God, lives within us, we're reckoned as sons of God. Sons of God. We've been adopted into God's eternal family as sons. Now, why does it matter that we're adopted as sons? Because some of you are like, well, <clears throat> can we just say sons and daughters? Well, yeah, you can, but it's trying to get at something very specific. It's saying sons on purpose. The reason it's saying sons on purpose is because in the generation that was receiving this, who would receive the inheritance rights of an estate? It would go to whom? The oldest son. And what it's actually saying is, it doesn't matter in God's eyes if you're a man or a woman, you're going to be adopted with the full rights as an oldest son, like that. It doesn't matter if you're a third child. Doesn't, doesn't ma- it doesn't matter. You're going to be adopted as sons. You're going to receive the inheritance rights in the kingdom that the Lord desires you to have. That's the kind of blessing he offers to us. We've been adopted into God's eternal family as sons. I love the way R.C. Sproul referenced all of this. He said it this way. He says, nobody is born into this world a child of the family of God. We are born as children of wrath. The only way we enter into the family of God is by adoption. And that adoption occurs when we are united to God's only begotten Son by faith. When by faith we are united with Christ, we are then adopted into that family of whom Christ is the firstborn. And we're given the the rights and the privileges and the blessings of that adoption, including an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Isn't that a wonderful thing to think about? I have to tell you, a good friend of mine, he was an older gentleman, but he passed away yesterday. I received word from his wife that he passed away. Now, I knew he was dealing with some problems. He had been in ICU, and, and, uh, but I also knew he loved the Lord. He served the Lord for, for many, many years. And I can't, anytime somebody like that in my life passes away, I often think about, all right, what can they see right now that I haven't seen yet? What, are they, what do they see? What does he see? What does Dan see right now? What can he see right in this moment? And here's the thing, Scripture reveals to us ahead of time, and the Lord did not need to reveal this to us ahead of time, but I think He's trying to give you and I great things to look forward to. And He's promised you and me an inheritance in His kingdom that can't be corrupted or taken away or ruined. When you're adopted into His family, you receive an inheritance like a son. And that's given to you, and it's, it's something that is, is a genuine blessing. I don't know if you've ever received an inheritance or something that was passed down to you a few weeks ago. I mentioned some things that were passed down to me. I actually read a story very recently about a very unique thing that was passed down from one guy to another. There was a, 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 this trunk. I, so are there things that just kind of exist in your attic that nobody ever opens up and it just gets passed along and nobody knows what to do with? You probably have something. Well, there was this trunk that was passed down a few generations from one family to another, and, or one family member to another. And uh, one of the family members... His name was Jock Taylor. He decided to look into it and see what, what was in it. And one of the things that he found in it was a very old pair of jeans. Now, I don't know what you would do if you found a very old pair of jeans, but what he ended up discovering was that it was one of the original pairs of, of Levi's. 
And, uh, and he's like, I wonder how much this is worth. This was passed down to me. I wonder how much it's worth. And so he started looking around, and, and the Levi's companies, you know, they, they, they looked at it, and they said, you know what? We will give you $50,000 for those jeans. And he's like, you'll give me 50? They said, yeah, that's one of the original pairs. Apparently, the original ones only had one back pocket. And they were looking at it, and they're like, that only has one back pocket. It's one of the original pairs. They're like, we'll give you 50 grand. And you know what Jock Taylor did? What would you do? Held out for more. <laughs> so he held out for more, and he ended up getting 100 grand. He got 100 grand for, you don't know what's up in your attic. Go check your attic out. You might have something good up there. If you find an old pair of jeans, try and sell them to the Levi's company. See if you could get some money. You might literally pay off your house in one day, right? Uh, but earthly inheritances, no matter what they are, they have a very brief shelf life. But I love the fact that our inheritance in the kingdom of God is ongoing, incorruptible, and guaranteed by Jesus himself. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter says it this way in verses 3 and 4. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Kept in heaven for you. Do you ever have, you know, a bag and you say to somebody, hey, can you just watch this bag for me just for a second? So nothing happens. So can you watch this bag for me for a second? You have an inheritance. It's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That that's what the Lord's doing for you and for me as, as men and women who have been adopted into the family of God. The Father has caused us to be born, into a live, born again into a living hope. And none of this is accidental. You were not adopted into God's family by accident. Think about that. I mean, when you think about every earthly adoption, it's a very purposeful arrangement. It's not something that happens accidentally. You were not adopted into the family of God by accident. He isn't reluctant about offering you an eternal relationship with him. Because Jesus took on flesh, you have the opportunity to be adopted into the family of God. Because Jesus shed his blood on the cross, your redemption has been paid for. Because Jesus rose from the grave, you share the hope of resurrection, a resurrection like his, and an inheritance in his kingdom that can't be ruined or defiled. By the power of God, that inheritance is being kept in heaven for you, awaiting your arrival. That's what Scripture promises us. That's something that you and I have the privilege to look forward to. And now, I realize that it could be tempting to look at inheritances and that whole concept in legal terms, but the Scripture makes a point to explain that there's more than just a legal relationship taking place here. Through Jesus, Scripture is very clear to tell us that we have been made the family of God, and we are invited to speak to the Father with a level of familiarity. We're told, when you look at verse 6, it says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Crying, Abba, Father. God is more than just our Creator. He's our Father. We have a relationship with Him. Abba is an Aramaic term for Father. That's why it's being referenced here. And oftentimes I'll hear people say that it's like coming to God and calling Him Dad or Daddy. And that's precisely how He wants us to approach Him. By the way, uh, when your kids send you funny things, do you save those things that they send you? 
Like, no matter what it is, like, I, I, have, I have things that my kids have colored for me, and as we've moved into the digital age, I have different things that I've screenshotted, that they've messaged me. And the other day, I actually came across something very interesting. Um, I came across the screenshot of a text that I received from one of my sons when he was 12 years old. And uh, I was like, oh, wow, look at this. And I, I was laughing because I screenshotted it. This is what he said. And I, don't, I never know if I should tell you if it's Daniel or not, but he, he, the, the, the text said this. It said, hey, are we leaving soon? And apparently I didn't reply fast enough. And it said, dad, question mark. Dad, lots of A's, question mark. Dad, period. <laughs> Dad, period, daddy, dada, this is all like line after line, and then he goes, he's like, I've run out of ways to say this, dad, deed, dad, exclamation point, I'm like, what, what, and I screenshotted it because it made me laugh, I thought it was funny, and at the time I joked, this is why you should never give your 12-year-old a cell phone, right, but at the same time, I got a big kick out of it, and in particular, I got a kick out of just the, the, just the closeness that it demonstrates. I didn't even realize you were in the second row until right now. Hey, what's happening? <laughs> Normally, you're in the back. You got a front row seat to your story. I did ask his permission if I could share that. Um, but God enjoys a close relationship with his children. He enjoys a close relationship with his children. He, he would not have put up with all he has put up with from us if he didn't enjoy that. He would, have he would not have orchestrated our rescue if this wasn't what he wanted. He wants a close relationship with us. Through Jesus, what he's doing is he's fixing the problem of our separation from him. He's reconciling us to himself. He's taking those who were far away and bringing us near. We who were far away are being brought near through Jesus Christ, we're being blessed with all the benefits of a place in his family as if we were never even outside of it to begin with. And the passage we're looking at today closes with this statement. I love how this is said. It says, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. It's a summary statement that all ties back to the work that Jesus accomplished. Through faith in Jesus, we are no longer slaves to sin. We enjoy the blessings of being sons and heirs of God because in the fullness of time, Jesus was born a man. And he secured spiritual blessings for us that we could not secure for ourselves. And in response to all of this, let me just say this as we finish up this morning. You know, when you think about all this, there's, there's always two ways that you could look at these portions of Scripture. We could look at this and we could, we could look at it and just think of it as like a piece of theology that's worth filing away somewhere so that we win a trivia contest. And I don't think that that's the most helpful way, obviously, to look at a portion of Scripture like this. I think we should look at this as something that should have a deep impact on the quality of our life, something that's meant to change our perspective, something that's meant to help me to see things in a way that I wasn't really seeing anything or my life or my circumstances or my future, helps me to see it in a way I wasn't seeing it. And what we can do, and I want to challenge you, and I want to challenge myself as well as we look at a portion of Scripture like this, to very simply live as someone who knows your real identity. Because again, what does the Scripture say? You are no longer a slave. You're a son. No longer a slave. You're not on the outside. Not a hired hand. You're not at a distance. You're a child of God. 
the Son of God. And if a son, then an heir through God. Live like someone who knows that about yourself. Live like someone who knows that that's your real identity. Stop living like someone who doesn't know who you actually are. Stop living like a slave to sin and telling yourself that you're powerless against sin. You're not a slave. Not a slave to those things. You're a child of God. Live like that because that's what you are. That's your eternal identity. You're not a slave to Satan. He used to love pushing you around, producing all kinds of fear, all kinds of doubt in your mind and in your life. You do not need to give him that kind of leeway in your life because the power of God resides within you through your faith in Jesus Christ. You are united to Christ. You're part of the family of God. You're not a slave to the things of this world either. You know, you and I are surrounded by people that have a very, very limited and dark perspective, and they don't even know that they're in the midst of darkness. And one of the things that you and I have the opportunity to do is we live like, like men and women who know that we are part of the family of God, that we've been adopted into the family of God, that we have the power of God at work within us. We have the opportunity to shine the light of the gospel into the midst of this dark world so that others could understand that that's available to them as well, that if they would like to be adopted into the family of God, his arms are wide open to them. Live like a child of God who's been assured of a glorious future in God's kingdom. That will have a measured impact on your day-to-day -day life. You are going to go through seasons of life that feel low, you're going to go through seasons of life that feel high. You're going to go through seasons of life that feel confusing. And then you come to a portion of Scripture like this, and even what we looked at from 1 Peter, and we're reminded that we've been assured of a glorious future in God's kingdom that won't be ruined. And that's going to last so far beyond the length of time that we are here on this earth in our present state that when we look back at this season, even the trials that feel like they've lasted a long time, they're going to seem like just a moment from the perspective of eternity. This is a momentary experience. The permanent reality is yet to come. And for those of us who are united to Jesus Christ, who are part of the family of God, that future that the Lord has in store for us, that inheritance that's secured, is a good one. And I think it's something he tells us about now so that we can already start looking forward to it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege that you've given us to be able to look at a portion of Scripture like this and really start to think about the implications of what you said in a passage like this. Lord, we know that we didn't start off our life worshiping you or connected to you. We didn't start off our life in some sort of spot of perfection or anything like this. I oftentimes hear people teach that sort of thing, but really what you tell us is that we were under your wrath. We were under your wrath. And that was a state you could have left us in, and if you did leave us in that state, there, there would have been no complaint we could have given to you because it's exactly what we deserved. Even though Adam sinned first, Scripture makes it very clear that we would have done exactly what he did. Someone living in a perfect context who was born without a sin nature could do what Adam did 
in the midst of his context, Lord, we would have done the same things as created beings. And so we're grateful for the fact that, Father, you sent your son Jesus Christ to be born as a man, to live the perfect life that we are incapable of living, and to offer his righteousness to us because he was born without sin, did not take on sin, did not rebel against the standard of your word or your law, lived the perfect life that we rebelled against and that we ignored, and offered us his righteousness and the privilege to be united to him and adopted into your family forever. So, Lord, we're so grateful for these things. And, and Lord, obviously, there are a lot of things that we could think about during this time of year. But, Lord, it's so fun and so enjoyable and so exciting to just be able to think about all the blessings that we have received because your Son, Jesus Christ, who is one with you, you are God the Father, He is God the Son, perfectly united for all eternity, the fact that He chose to take on flesh to rescue and redeem us. Again, Father, we thank you that you've welcomed us into your family. We thank you that you've adopted us into your family. We thank you that we have the privilege to walk with you as people who understand our identity. And Lord, we pray that at no point would we ever go back to the identity that you have rescued us from. We are no longer slaves to sin, no longer slaves to this world or slaves to Satan. You've given us liberty from that slavery. You've given us freedom in your Son, and you've ushered us into your family and given us a future that can't be ruined. So, Lord, help us to live like we know that's true. And we're so grateful, Lord, to be able to spend a little time at the start of our week being reminded of these things as we look at your Word. We love you, Lord. We thank you for all of these things, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.